0: Hello and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Kate, can you believe that it's almost
1: June? You know, I really cannot, um, but June is always one of my most favorite months and so I'm really excited about it. And you know, I'm also excited for our summer break in between seasons, uh, time to read and rest and dream up season three, but I'm definitely going to miss these weekly chats.
0: Same. It's always so bittersweet, but listeners, just to let you know, I think we only have five or six more episodes in season two, and then Kate and I will be off Writing the summer winds wherever they take us. But as always, please stay in touch via Instagram or email or Patreon because we love this coven so dearly and are already thinking about what's to come in season three. Yes. But more on that later because I cannot handle goodbyes or even a pre goodbye right now because I will get teared up. So, changing the subject Kate Mm -hmm. I know it's been a few episodes probably more since I've asked you what you're reading and we shared some book recs with our listeners Mm -hmm. so not that I need to add any more books to my nightstand but I'm going to so what are you reading right now
1: yeah the stack of books has reached um I don't want to call it embarrassing, but like a bit of an embarrassing (laughs) mountain. Oh, impressive. Yes. Let's go with that. My stack of books is impressive in this moment, but I, you know, I'm reading a few things. Um, My teacher, Robin Rose Bennett, recommended Energetic Herbalism. I believe that's by Kat Meyer. um, And I'm really enjoying that for any of our green witches out there. Also, one of our listeners and members of the Witch Wide Web sent me a book called Green Grief is a Thing with Feathers that I'm really looking forward to diving into. Um, also, getting books in the mail just makes me cry, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and um, I'm almost done with the the Saintcraft class at Catland Books, which I've been talking about, and that's, you know, been so much beautiful info, which is like a book in itself. Um, yeah. What about
0: you, Kristen? Well, I love that title, first off, Grief is a mm-hmm. Thing with Feathers, so I'm definitely going to look that up. But I've been reading all sorts of nostalgic books from my childhood and teenage years to continue reconnecting and learning about the younger version of me. You know, just remind myself what I was into and try to use some of that um, emotional response as inspiration for my current projects. Mm. So, I just finished Witch by Christopher Pike, which was one of the many books from my California vintage book haul. (laughs) I think I read this when I was like 13 or 14, and at the time I thought it was such an adult book. Um, So, it's been really fun to revisit. And then on the adult fiction side, I'm reading The Red Garden by Alice Hoffman.
1: Love Alice Hoffman. Sounds beautiful.
0: <laughs> Me too. And so if any of our listeners are interested, we'll be sure to add these titles to our show notes so our bookish friends can stay in the know. And, you know, speaking of our lovely listeners, today's episode was inspired by a listener request. Actually, a few listener requests that asked if we would talk a bit about hand fasting and witchy or pagan wedding rituals.
1: Yes, and thank you, listeners. Uh, please send us your requests if you have them. And you did a hand fasting when you and Eric were married, right?
0: Yeah, I did. And, you know, that doesn't mean I'm an expert. My lovely friend who officiated the wedding, hello, Melissa, mm-hmm. planned everything and I just sort of showed up but I knew I wanted to do a hand fasting even if I was sort of clueless at the time because the prospect of legally binding myself to someone didn't resonate with me whatsoever. I you know I just wanted a ceremony that was private and outdoors beneath the moon and one that would unite us but in a spiritual and magical and timeless sense.
1: let's just lay down some terminology here before we dive in. You know, basically, as we know it now, a hand fasting is a pagan wedding celebration. And during this ritual, two people are bound together as one. There are like many things, a few conflicting ideas about the origins of hand fasting. One is that it was a way to create an agreement of marriage outside of the church, with another being that it it is tied to a pre-Christian ceremony. So in one form, hand fasting is a traditional practice that may define an unofficiated wedding, a betrothal, or even a temporary wedding. And in this ritual, the phrase refers to the making fast of a pledge by the shaking or joining of hands. So this terminology and practice are especially associated with Germanic peoples, hand fasting was common up through Tudor England and 17th century Scotland, and has since been revived in neo-paganism and ritual marriages. Now, in other texts, a hand fasting takes place before the actual wedding vows with both parties' hands being tied together during a ceremony, and so perhaps this is where we got the phrase, tying the knot In this iteration of lore, the word hand fasting comes from an old English term meaning tying hands or binding promises, and each person in the ceremony holds a part of a wrapped cord or ribbon, and when they recite their wedding vows, one end is tied together. If you're looking for an example of this in pop culture, I can't help but think about the wedding scene in the love witch as I research this. Mm -hmm. And I know that some of our listeners love this movie and think it's as strange and wonderful as I do. Mm -hmm. So definitely check that out. Um, and when this practice first originated, couples would need to wear the ribbon for a year and a day and then decide if they would like to stay married or if they wanted to separate. It would be as if they were never married. And so this is sort of like a trial marriage rather than a traditional wedding, um, which I know is something that we see in lore about couples who come together on Beltane as well. And Kristen, I know you're going to talk about seasonal relevance in a moment here.
0: Yeah, there are some really interesting theories.
1: Definitely. Um, In Healing Magic by Robin Rose Bennett, she talks about creating a hand-fasting ceremony in four stages, so I'll read that for you all. Um, Quote, First, they joined hands in a figure eight, the symbol of eternity, and the priestess bound their wrists in the same pattern with a ceremonial tie to represent the tie that binds them together." Since the tie that binds is love and trust, freely given, no external tie is necessary, and the symbolic tie was removed. It can be untied or cut depending on personal preference, and if desired, it can be held onto as a keepsake. Second, they exchanged vows and rings to publicly declare their deeply committed love for one another. Next, they jumped the broom to symbolize joining their lives together and their commitment to walk their paths side by side. Best friends then celebrated them by placing gorgeous homemade wreaths on their heads, and the priestess invited them to share the traditional kiss. Finally, having declared their love and commitment and having joined their lives together, the couple was invited to jump a cauldron containing the eternal flame of love— a large candle would also be fine to symbolize connecting their personal love with their love for the world, encouraging them to share their love and allow it to nourish their families, friends, and the wider community. End quote. I really love this imagery of people jumping over the
0: cauldron's flame.
1: Yeah. And it really reminds me of candle jumping rituals. I think we Mm -hmm. talked about this with, um, Nauru's, uh, last year, um, Or New Year celebration. And then I think also we've talked about it for summer solstice rituals. So lots of beauty there. Um, Also, I believe we've talked about jumping the broom in past episodes, um, which Robin mentions in the passage. And I think that this is a really beautiful ritual that can be incorporated into a hand fasting or done by itself. Um, So here, the premise is that the broom acts as a threshold. You know, I've jumped a broom to symbolize a new chapter in my life or to make an agreement with myself or to celebrate a portal or as a ritual of a clean sweep, so to speak, So if you get a copy of Healing Magic, uh, Robin tells some really beautiful stories about jumping the broom and more about hand fasting in there. And for those that are looking for a really intricate and in-depth, step-by-step to a hand-fasting process, the Beltane book from Llewellyn's Sabbath Essentials, which we sell in Tamed wild, has a really beautiful Beltane hand-fasting ritual, and that could be adapted to other times of the year. Um, in their example of the ritual, they bring in elemental magic, so talking about forging of water and fire, and I think that this is like a great reminder that we can craft and create our own ritual you know bringing in important parts of our practices so whether you love working with the ancestors green witchery plant magic or altars these all may be things to consider as you plan your witchy wedding
0: partial to fall and winter weddings. Historically, spring and summer are the seasons when most people tie the knot. We often hear of people wanting June weddings, which makes sense when you consider that the sun is shining, the weather's warm, many people have work or school vacation during this time, which makes traveling so much easier. But as I was doing research for this episode, I began to think, Maybe there is more to a June wedding than what meets the eye. In the Farmer's Almanac, there's a passage that reads, quote, June is the most popular month to marry, followed by August, July, May, and September. This goes back all the way to ancient Rome, where the goddess Juno was the protector of women in all aspects of life, but especially in marriage and childbearing— so a wedding in Juno's month was considered most auspicious. Although the goddess Juno was celebrated in March during her annual festival, Matronalia, people would also honor her during June, her sacred month for which she was named, or that was named after her. Another theory on why hand fasting and marriage might be so popular this time of year has to do with Wiccan and neo-pagan mythology— According to Wheel of the Year lore, between Beltane and Litha, the Horned God and the Triple Goddess, in her maiden form, are married. The Goddess becomes pregnant shortly after, and her transformation from maiden to mother continues throughout summer and harvest season and is complete sometime around Yule. Yule is when she gives birth to her son, the Solar God, which, of course, is a nod to the return of the sun. S-U-N, that we celebrate at the winter solstice. Something else worth noting is that in the old world of Scotland, when hand fasting was sort of the norm, this ritual of binding two hands together was more of an engagement than a wedding. It was basically a trial wedding, as Kate mentioned earlier, where couples could stay together for a year to try things out. You know, it was a way to honor their intent to be married, but also give couples an out if the person they thought they were marrying turned out to be someone else. (laughs)
1: A truly classic contract.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Smart. Um, Some other interesting hand-fasting lore I discovered recently. Hand-fasting rituals or similar ceremonies were popular throughout various cultures, but in the 16th and 17th centuries, hand-fasting was very popular in the Celtic world. However, the Catholic Church really wasn't keen on that because, according to them, only a priest could officiate a marriage. Handfasting fasting was banned, said to be ungodly, because living with anyone before marriage was a sin, according to the church. But that didn't stop people from continuing this beloved ancient tradition, partly in thanks to Gretna Green. Sitting right near the border of England and Scotland is a blacksmith shop called Gretna Green. The building was constructed in 1713, but it wasn't until 1754 when their business really picked up. According to their website, quote, couples seeking marriage outside of the restrictions of England and Wales began converging on Gretna Green, the first stop in Scotland. Young couples would be met at the crossroads behind the famous blacksmith shop by the blacksmith priest. The priest was the local blacksmith who conducted marriage ceremonies over the now famous marriage anvil in his small shop with his wife and a few locals acting as witnesses. The legend of the marriage anvil began as the blacksmith priest would strike their anvil as part of the wedding ceremony, forging the lives of the two lovers together in an unbreakable bond, end quote.
1: Mm, I really love that and also would love to visit there. Yeah,
0: me too. And, you know, a little side note here, I wish I had known this story when I got married, Not only because it's so interesting, but because at the time, my muggle, Catholic, blacksmith husband, then boyfriend, was still learning (laughs) about witchcraft um, via me and was still, you know, kind of struggling with the word witch and what that meant to him. So he wasn't really sold on hand fasting because, you know, he understood that it was a spell of sorts and he felt like it was going against his religious upbringing But I don't know, maybe telling him he could swing a hammer or bring an anvil might have been an effective tool of persuasion. Um, (laughs) But I also like the symbolism here with hand fasting and blacksmithing because this ritual isn't about two people getting married and doing the deed and then it's done. Um, It's truly about forging a connection between two things hammering out the imperfections and the weird bits and the rough bits uh, and then making something beautiful from all that sweat and tears i also really love that couples would meet um, at the crossroads behind the blacksmith shop because it's i don't know such symbolism and magic it just gives me chills
1: definite same
0: Also on the Gretna Green website, there's a small section with some info about a few famous people to partake in hand-fasting rituals. It says, quote, William Shakespeare negotiated and then witnessed a hand-fasting ceremony in 1604 and was later called as a witness in a lawsuit regarding the dowry in 1612. Historians also speculate that his own marriage to Anne Hathaway was a hand fasting in 1582, as the practice was still considered common at the time. And even in television, a hand fasting was recently referred to in one of my favorite shows, Outlander, when the main characters, Jamie and Claire, had their hands bound together during their own wedding ceremony in season one, which reminds me that the expressions uh, tying the knot, which you mentioned, Kate, um, and also asking for one's hand in marriage are believed to derive from this ancient practice. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think this may be all the time we have for today, but listeners, if you had a witchy, wonderful, weird, pagan wedding ritual, um, please reach out and share them with us. Kristen and I also love photos, so if you have Mm -hmm. wedding photos, please send them along. And we are wishing you lots of love and ritual and connection in the weeks of summer to come, wedding or not.
0: for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lisenby and Kate Ballew. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at k8ballew. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram, at
1: tamedwild, or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode where we talk about a little bit of summer magic. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it, so mote it be or something better. Until next time.